there were a lot of kids who like a lot of people families would, yeah people would bring their kids um, i mean don't get me wrong i would obviously love to bring my kids it's just yeah. a long drive actually that was yeah, the, that was the Once thing <laughs> that was With a funny newborn. thing funny aside as i'm like you know helping try to run this event and have it be really prayerful and like we just wrapped up and we were like this is awesome let's go to this reception that we're starting up at the end and then uh and then i like had to help with something that i hadn't had to do in ministry before and a, a, a mom came up to me and was like so my son has puked everywhere <laughs> in the back so can you help me and i was like oh i really don't want to but let's but, go find a mop but bucket. this is it and jace did we it, it cleaned it up and it was great so yeah. it was easy peasy yeah yeah we um, just we just started the reception part too which again right. connects this whole uh like celebration banquet fellowship the mm -hmm. body of christ coming together having been adoring the, the the body of christ the true body presence of christ right. present in the eucharist so i i feel like Father, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. The diocesan phase, or at least in the way that we've done it here in Oklahoma City, was kind of there to like build anticipation, build momentum, yeah. build an excitement in our parishes, especially as yeah. we're heading into the parish phase, like that there's that all of this is like requiring a response. And that's like what Chris's answer is. It's like, what's a parish's response? So we're response. we're getting to we're getting to the parish phase and like so what are what are some of the plans for that yeah well i think the the best way for parishes to to learn how they can respond is coming to this eucharistic revival conference that we're planning for december 3rd it's going to be december 3rd at saint mark the evangelist catholic church uh, down in norman uh, inviting all clergy and parish staff and ministry leaders to come to learn how their parish can grow in their Eucharistic devotion and then their uh, celebration of the Mass um, as a way really to connect with this, with this true presence, to connect with Christ present in the Eucharist. Um, because like we say, I mean, there are a lot of parishes that, that are hurting or that are kind of stagnated, you know, maybe mm -hmm. um, places where Eucharistic adoration doesn't even happen. Um, I know we're blessed and I think all of our parishes that we actually do have adoration. I know in Ponca City, they got it every Friday, which is awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. at, at my parish, we have it every day after mass. Uh, at St. Francis, they have it, right? Uh, and a lot of parishes in the city do have it, but uh, there's kind of this, I think this desire for more. Mm -hmm. like, and, how can, and how can the ministries that people are involved in really connect to that Eucharistic font of grace, because it is, that's, that's what we believe that the Eucharist, not just as a sign or a symbol, but really it's an encounter with Christ who enlivens and, and invigorates our faith. That's, that's what we have to, to, to put forward and to understand. Mm -hmm. um, so this conference is um, on the one hand, it's supposed to inspire, right. And to, to get hearts of the faithful uh, just open to this, to the great fount of grace that, that is in the Eucharist. So to inspire them um, and then to enkindle in their hearts a, a love for this Eucharist, um, to help them to envision uh, the way that the Eucharistic revival can come to their parish, whether that's through uh, you know actual programs or increased adoration or maybe just subtle changes and in, in how uh, the people participate in the Mass and the ministers minister at Mass. Uh, that's kind of where the parish phase is going. And that's what we hope that the Eucharistic Revival Conference will help parishes uh, to, to see and understand and live out this next year. So, 
Yeah, Chris, so awesome. what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? I am going to tell Father Carson. Father, 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 <laughs> father's been putting the team on his back all year. What are you going to do now? It's your turn. Uh, that's a good question. You know, I don't know. That's one of the reasons why I asked. I'd like to, uh, one of the biggest things that I've wanted to do more is Eucharistic processions. Yeah. Um, I think that Eucharistic processions are incredibly powerful. It was part of a Eucharistic procession that brought about my own conversion and Whoa. encounter with Christ in the Eucharist at a seat conference Whoa. in 2013. And what I loved what you were mentioning about the, the one that we had for the Archdiocese uh, a few months ago was not just going around your own Catholic campus, not just going around the church or the school grounds, what have you, but being a true presence and a witness as Jesus did right in Galilee and around Nazareth. He went out and people could witness and see him, right? Even like with the story of the lepers, they just saw him and they said like, you know, Lord, heal us. Right, yeah. and they just want they they could just see his power and his goodness, and I think that's just so much more important not to like light our own little fire around our own church with the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, but to light Ponca City on fire and all of all of the world, of course, Oklahoma City on um, fire. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, you just, know, I think that's you make a good point about processions, and honestly, that's where the parish phase should start in my in my mind is that the parish phase should start just like the diocesan phase started with a procession on Corpus Christi. Yeah. So hopefully your parish uh, up there, St. Mary's in Ponca City, and other parishes uh, around the whole state will will kind of take this time to plan for a Eucharistic procession for, uh, for Corpus Christi next year, which is, I want to say, June 9th next year. Now I'm put on the spot. So June 9th, 2023. I'm pretty sure. Oops, nope, wrong. June 11th. <laughs> wrong. Wrong. No, wrong. June 11th, 2023. Well, I, I know I'm excited personally, and I do have a question if you guys are okay with taking this direction. Uh, and just briefly, we don't have enough time to get into it, but it's important to have this revival and to rekindle the reverence for our Lord in the Most Holy Sacrament. However, I think it's important for us to also, which I'm assuming you're going to address at this December meeting, what is it that got us to this point of 70% lacking true mm. belief in the true presence? And how can we take those factors into account so that we can keep the survival going and not just let it be like a, yay, Jesus, and then kind of let it fizzle out again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really really difficult question. Do you have any thoughts on that, Jace? Yeah. Um I think ultimately like like the the easy answer, right, is to say well we didn't catechize, right? You know? Like if we had said if we had told them that the Eucharist is Jesus enough while they were going through, you know, a child was going through religious education or something mm -hmm. like that. Um then, then, then it wouldn't be at 70%, or at least that's like the initial thought that people might have. Um, I mean, I truly think it's like a discipleship thing, you know? Like, I mean, we've like, you know, this. I'm going to call back to um, uh, to one of our previous guests um, who's actually coming to the to the conference um, to, to be the speaker, um, Monsignor Shea. You know, when he talks about from like from Christendom to apostolic mission, I think that we just... Uh, we got we got burnt out um, on being evangelists and having a mission together uh, as a church, um, 
and got uh, put in a uh, got stuck in a Christendom place where we really needed to be in an apostolic type of mode. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back and listen to that previous episode. I think we did four episodes on this concept. Um, and so I think that the the fact that the relationships weren't there, mm. um, like I mean the like the other the other stat that like really closely aligns with this one is that eighty percent of young people are leaving churches um, and leaving their faiths by the time that they get to be like twenty nine years old or something like that. It's really close to a seventy percent marker, um, and it's so important for young people to have relationships that are based around the faith, not with just their peers, but with with parents or with parents of other kids and other adults. Um, and like not just sitting in a classroom and hearing it, but like seeing, you know, Mr. Mr. Sibioski like carrying a monstrance or well, not not Mr. Sibioski. <laughs> he wouldn't be carrying a monstrance, but he would be like, you know, helping with organize the or, a, a procession or something procession, like that yeah. and people um or seeing him adoration <laughs> yeah see yeah seeing him praying in adoration thank you chris i don't know why i don't know why all i wanted to have mr sibioski so, my this fake guy do <laughs> is this procession thing um but yeah. i think that they're like it starts really deeply within the culture within that but like but there's also like like how often were we really reverencing you know the eucharist in a way that like communicated you know that mm. the the pricelessness of what this is or what who this is yeah um you know in our masses and um i think that is a a big point that you bring up is this a lack of reverence and the lack of the signification that the mass communicated that this is the the body and blood soul and divinity of christ and a lot of places where masses became Masses became sort of just about the community or a communal meal, or they started to include very secular elements to them uh, during that time of experimentation. And then post the the Second Vatican Council, it became uh, very dangerous to the, to this Eucharistic faith and devotion that that the Church had had long had, and really it had found its apex there in the in the 13th century in the High Middle Ages. This this beautiful Eucharistic faith, so much so that the people of God wanted to see the host right after it was consecrated, right after the priest said those words, "Hoc est corpus meo." This is my body, um, mm. and so uh, so that was i think where where we kind of lost it a little bit and and the the church is trying to regain that ground and it it's done really well i mean there's been so much in the in the the life of the life of the liturgical life of the church to to make masses more reverent to make them more beautiful and and to uh, really move people to to active participation to true participation um, and so that's part of this work too. One of the, sorry, I don't want to get into a whole other element. But... Chris has to go to the dentist. Oh, okay. <laughs> he literally scheduled his, he couldn't move his dentist appointment is to that talk the, about the Eucharist. Is that with the tendrils? Like, what a joke. What a joke tindles? Chris is. It's all Chris's fault. Are the tendrils He's just your glaring dentist? at me. No comment. <laughs> uh, no, it's actually not with the Tyndalls. <laughs> oh, that's awkward. Uh, Hopefully they're not with, listening to this. 
No. Well, she knows. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> uh, no, and I just want to tag in one more thing before I do have to dip out. And so I'll, I'll let you guys resume the conversation. Uh, I do think in addition to what Jace and Father, you were mentioning about, you know, communicating this reverence. I, I think for, especially when it gets to parish level, that this is a great opportunity for all the parents to respond specifically parents to respond to this high call of a revival mm-hmm. uh, how you enter the church and genuflect and make the sign of the cross before the tabernacle your your children see you and like jace you mentioned that other statistic about mm-hmm. you know the 80 percent of the youth uh, and young adults who are leaving the church uh really much corresponds with that 70 percent who don't believe in true presence well when they see you do a real quick half but sign of the cross <laughs> and you don't even genuflect or you let your kids run you know you run around in front of the the, the tabernacle just not uh, i i just think of one of my favorite quotes by saint maximilian colby he says when you genuflect or when excuse me when you kneel kneel as if you know whom you were kneeling before mm-hmm. right yeah. uh, when other people see you genuflect they want to be he's kneeling before god and I think that's just going to really, uh, really help us. And I know for me as a parent, it's important for our children to come with us to adoration, to see us in adoration. And I think it's a great opportunity for the family life and this Eucharistic revival to go hand in hand as like a high call for us. Yeah. Just my last little tidbit. I'm sorry that I got to bounce Good out. Good thoughts there. Thank you, Chris. Bye, Thank Chris. You. Thank you, Chris. Bye, everyone. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> Bye. Oh, you know, along those same lines, though, with what Chris was saying, I know one of the things that a lot of people we've talked to in our in our group but other people we've I've talked to as well you know the way that we receive communion uh, is some of the, something that has been on people's hearts as like a, as a way to communicate this revival too mm-hmm. um, some people of course you know the after the Second Vatican Council we we started receiving communion in the hands and, and people you know were just standing and receiving in the hands but there's there's a, a real desire amongst a lot of the faithful to, to actually kneel and to receive communion mm-hmm. and maybe even to receive it on the tongue um, as it as it had been received for so many years as a, as a real sign of reverence like this is God coming to you. You don't take God, but he and his generosity and love and mercy and grace and everything, he comes to you uh, and you receive that with such great humility uh, and reverence. I think that's that's something that, that a lot of people are desiring to, to live out again too. So. Hmm. We'll yeah. see where that goes. I don't know. I don't know. I know. I know like at the pastoral center here, we've kind of emphasized that as an option which has been beautiful to put out the kneelers for people to receive communion. Right. Uh, the, and by kneelers, I mean kneeling paths, <laughs> not like holding kneelers. But there are other parishes too where that's kind of become the norm is there's there's kneelers available for people to kneel to receive. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's kind of a, like it's a very young movement, those mm-hmm. the kneelers. Are, I've seen that a lot. You yeah. know, I... When I was when I was at when I was in college at St. Thomas More, we didn't have kneelers or anything yeah. like that. So at the beginning, but you know, by the time I was leaving, you know, we had kneelers at a lot of our masses and right. And it, it's a beautiful thing. And just like having our actions line up for what with what we actually believe is just super important. One thing to tally, tag on to what uh what Chris was saying about like family life, you know, in the Eucharist and things parents can do. Um like there's a there's a very few like Danielle and I when we're at mass with our son with Peter, um, for the most part like if it's like during the liturgy of the word or something like he can he can move around a little bit now and 
you know, we try to let him have a little bit of freedom and not and not make it like just this thing where he has to sit there and fold his hands, you know, the whole time, or at least until he's a little older. We'll 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 uh, get better at that. But the one place where we really, really, since he's been like two and a half, um, is that when we get to the consecration, I grab him and have him kneel next to me, or I'll hold him, mm-hmm. um, and I point and I say, "Look, there's Jesus." Um, and, wow. the, and then, and then I say with him and we, we do this every single time. We say, I love you, Jesus. Mm. I love you, Jesus. I wow. love you, Jesus. And he, and he knows, um, and, and he knows that it's Jesus now. And then he's like, when are we going to go get Jesus? And mm. like, starts asking these really big questions, you know, and all I've done, I have not given him a lesson on what the Eucharist is, period. Mm-hmm. But all I've done with him is in that one small moment for 10 seconds, every mass that we've gone to, we have that moment and he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, I, I'm excited to see yeah. families bring more of that, um, that type of thing. And like, I don't have it figured out or anything. I'm not that great a parent, but like that was, that's one thing that I'm really proud of as a dad. Yeah. I think I could use someone like you next to me at mass saying that. <laughs> No, I mean, I, obviously, as a priest, you know, we believe this, but it is hard, like, as priests, whenever we're celebrating Mass, there's a lot of things for us to think about, uh, little details and stuff like that. I mean, we're, uh, it, it's like, we are the presider, we are the one who is conducting this prayer. Um, and so, for us, as priests, too, it's it's an important reminder that the heart of the Eucharistic revival is this belief in the true presence of Jesus who's made present at the mass. And so, as I always say it, it begins and ends with priests, mm. but it's families like you, it's it's the sign of, of love and devotion that the people of God um, bring forth that that really enlivens our Eucharistic faith as priests mm. and, and hopefully supports it, sustains it, and even deepens it. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, like I say, this, this isn't just something for the people of God, but it's for us priests as well, that that our Eucharistic faith uh, may be uh, revived and deepened. Yeah, that's really awesome. So, so, so we talked about diocesan phase. We're heading into the parish phase. Yeah, um, and everything. Can you speak to like what is the national phase? Yeah, like, ongoing phase. Well, that's like, a, what does that even mean for? That's us? a great thing. Everyone needs to put on their calendar the the national Eucharistic Congress. But now I have to figure out when it is. I think it's July 2024. I want to say it's July 23rd and 24th. Let me look at the calendar here. Um, but yeah, there's a there's Where a is it? Where big is it? National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis. And I got the dates totally wrong. Excuse me. July 17th through 21st, 2024. That's in Indianapolis. It's going to be great. We're going to definitely have a, a group, a contingent from the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City going. Uh, it's supposed to be the biggest uh, Eucharistic gathering in the United States uh, ever. So hopefully, I guess it depends on how they on how they slice that. Yeah, right. Like World Youth Day '93. Yes. Well, I think I think for a Eucharistic Congress. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, yes. gotcha. Like. Specifically, Eucharist. I was yeah, like, Eucharistic I was like, Congress. There's, as million, to, there's millions of people at World right, Youth Day. Right, World Youth Day. It's it's huge, but I, I don't think there's been a uh, 
Well, one thing is we just haven't had a Eucharistic Congress in, I believe, 50 or some, 50 some I did, odd years I didn't in know the that United was a, States. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I think the last one was in the 70s, early 70s. So uh, just having this opportunity to come, it's the Eucharistic Congress is sort of like a conference. So it's sort of like Seek or or, or even sort of like Steubenville or, or, yeah. or World Youth Day, but it's it's really focused on the Eucharist and there's a lot more Eucharistic devotional practices that go along with it. Yeah. Um, of course, all of those conferences, especially now, really are focused on the Eucharist, which is so awesome. Like mm -hmm. I know Seek and Steubenville that kind of have this. Yeah, it's the pinnacle. This, yeah, the, the Eucharistic. Or, or Eucharistic. Summit, yeah, 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 the Eucharistic adoration is the, the pinnacle or the summit <laughs> of, of the night. Uh, but I, I think hopefully, hopefully this is, this is one of the, the big debates that's actually gone along with the Eucharistic revival is whether or not it should focus on the mass or things like Eucharistic adoration, Eucharistic uh, hmm. kind of devotions. So I don't want to get into this whole debate back and forth right now, but I think at the end of the day, it has to be both, right? right? I mean, it, it can't just be one or the other. Like, we can't exclude the the way that people well, you can't have one without the other right well you you definitely can't have adoration well yeah i guess without... that's what i mean you can have mass without adoration <laughs> you definitely can't have adoration without mass uh you could have mass without adoration but the the goal of adoration is that it it points people back to mass and, mm -hmm. it, and it enlivens their their eucharistic faith because it's a it's a it's a more extended and richer encounter with the lord yeah. right a richer encounter with his his true presence, where we actually get to sit with him, with his presence, body, blood, soul, and vein, just present in something so humble, but mm -hmm. so majestically displayed, you know, in this monstrance and, and in this church. I mean, who, I mean, where does that happen, right? I mean, <laughs> no, Doesn't. yeah, right. Nothing, like even, for example, the the Apple store, right? A really nice, big, beautiful store or whatever. Wow, we're, we're comparing mass to the Apple store. Right <laughs> but, here, catechesis <laughs> on red dirt Catholics, folks. But, but inside the Apple store, what are, there's like a bunch of things, right? There's just a bunch of like, little gadgets and stuff like that and they all work great mm -hmm. but nothing is displayed so prominently uniquely so uh so powerfully as mm -hmm. the monstrance in the church yeah. uh in adoration uh and 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 that's the same that we get whenever we we are at mass right and the priest holds up the host and he holds up the chalice and he says this is my body this is my blood in the words of jesus you know the consecration so 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 it's, building up both of those things, it's just together. Be... We got to have both, right? We got to have, got to have reverence at the mass. We got to have, uh, we got to have this devotion to the Eucharist in a deeper way in adoration, and we have to have the the priests and the lay faithful who are revived. It's a it's an all in sort of revival. Right. Father, you mentioned at the start, like where most of us are right now, as the as the diocesan phase is almost diocesan phase is almost wrapping up. We're launching the parish phase. Like you mentioned this like posture of receptivity mm -hmm. uh, being like the key thing for the lay faithful. Mm -hmm. Like what is one, as we're wrapping it up here, like what is one thing that you would recommend just as like a really practical thing of going for that posture of receptivity? Mm -hmm. Especially during this diocesan phase, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I would say being open and noticing what parts of the the mass really attract you or maybe even distract you from coming to know the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist even if if we have the lay faithful right now all of us 
being really attentive at mass and and taking note of this part of mass really speaks to me and helps me to come closer to Jesus or this part of mass and the way that it happens at our parish is somewhat distracting and and I want it to uh you know I I want to I want it not to be an obstacle to my my relationship, my connection, my encounter with Jesus in the mm-hmm. Eucharist. If we're just open to that right now, I think we can start to allow the the work of the Holy Spirit to move us in this parish phase. Because again, it's not about uh, something imposed from the top down, but it has to be a grassroots move. Yeah, what's to, your prayer? It has to be where where the Lord is moving us mm-hmm. as as the people of God uh, to a deeper encounter with the Eucharist. I mean, we have we have this this foundational belief, right, that that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. Uh, we just want to get to that, right? We want to we want everyone to get to that to that mm-hmm. to that encounter with Him in the Eucharist. And so, I think if we're if we're aware more of what what makes that presence truly real to us and maybe what distracts us from that presence then uh, we can we can start from there right and we can and we in our parishes we can we can work from that yeah well that's awesome well thank you so much for being on the podcast with us father december 3rd december 3rd big eucharistic revival conference at saint mark from 8 a.m till 2 45 p.m very good thanks guys we'll see you next time okay